0: We are drawing to a close in our discussion, in our look at 1 Corinthians 13. We still have one more Sunday to go, but this is a very important one. And that passage I have said, pay close attention, I'll explain in just a few minutes. I came across one of the most beautiful little stories of love I think that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, in his book, All the Places to Go, John Ortberg, R- Ortberg wrote about a front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle. Now get this, this is an article in the San Francisco Chronicle. It was about a metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen. I'm going to give you a moment if you want to write it down on your note. If you would like to read the article, it's still online. Uh, Linda Wilson hyphen Allen, A L. L-E-N, you can look that up. But the article, of a secular newspaper says, she loves the people who ride her bus and learns their names. Who would have ever thought that a bus ride could be an expression of love? She learns their names and waits for them if they're late, and then makes up the time later on her route. A woman in her 80s named Ivy had some heavy grocery bags, and she was struggling with them, and that's Linda up on your screen. Linda got out of the bus driver's seat to carry Ivory's grocery bags onto her bus. And now, Ivy lets other buses pass her stop so she can ride on Linda's bus. Linda once saw a woman named Tanya at a bus shelter, and she could tell that Tanya was new in the area, that she was lost and looked a little bit, confused and troubled, and so uh, it it was almost Thanksgiving, and Linda said to Tanya, you're out here all by yourself, you don't know anybody, come on out to Thanksgiving uh, and kick it with me and the kids, and now they're friends. The article said that Linda's built such a little community of blessing on the bus that passengers often get this, offer Linda the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found out she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them as presents to Linda. And the article said, think about what a thankless task during a bus can look like in our world. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, gum on the seats, you ask yourself how does she have this attitude? And the article says this, her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for about 30 minutes. The Chronicle stated there's a lot of talk about the Lord, says Wilson Allen, uh, a, mi- a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. She has a lot to talk to him about. And at the end of her line, one thing remains for Wilson Allen to say. That's all. I love you. Take care. De said, have you ever had a bus driver tell you, I love you? People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I'll tell you where. You can find it on the number 45 bus riding through San Francisco. People wonder, where can I find the church? I will tell you, behind the wheel of a metro transit vehicle. As we near the end of our look at 1 Corinthians, we come to an incredibly important statement Paul delivered to the Corinthians. He called them essentially to understand that at the end of it all, they should pay close attention To that which remains. So we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10, and then verse 13. Be reading from the ESV, if you would stand. Such a beautiful passage. Listen to what Paul wrote to these people. And keep in mind, he's writing it to a people who fight about everything. He said, love never ends. As for for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. In this short text, Paul affirmed the truth. Love continues. Love continues. And so we need to understand, we've been singing about God's love for us. But God's love for us is supposed to prompt within our hearts our love. As we think about the eternal nature of God's love, Paul is saying love itself has an eternal aspect to it. And we need to embrace fully this essential nature of love in our lives. And we're going to try to understand that by looking at two truths that are given us in this text. Two truths that will point out why this is so incredibly important. And the very first truth that Paul brings to us is that spiritual gifts will not last forever. Spiritual gifts are not going to last forever, and we need to get a hold of that, and we need to understand that. Paul was saying this, no ifs, ands, or buts. He makes it very clear. Now, he does so when Paul opens up this discussion. Paul gave a representative list of temporary gifts of the Spirit. But why did he choose these gifts? Why did Paul choose these gifts? He's given three gifts that stand for them all. Why? Well, Paul preferred the gift of prophecy. uh, Though he said he himself spoke in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I would rather you speak in prophecies because that's giving a word from God to the people who need it clearly without ambiguity and he said that's that's the best gift he said if you you know if you're going to desire a gift that's a really good one to do but then we come to the corinthians who played a very heavy emphasis on knowledge and the gift of speaking in tongues now that's easy to see why they were of greek heritage and folks to the greeks knowledge was everything All of their philosophers saw it. All their statesmen were looking for it. We want knowledge. And so knowledge of any form or fashion was deemed as very important. But when you're talking about knowledge of the things of God himself, that takes on a whole other level of importance. So they really wanted to stress knowledge. And speaking in tongues, why wouldn't you? Uh, Why why would that not be important? It was a spectacular gift, folks. Being able to speak in a language you had never learned before, that would be the kind of thing that would draw attention. And that was the problem with the Corinthians. They were wanting gifts that would draw attention to themselves. Now, I do want to give to you this morning uh, a special word about tongues. To explain something that I said at the very beginning of this service a few weeks, series a few weeks ago. I told you that I am not a cessationist. Now, a cessationist basically teaches that certain gifts of the Spirit are continuing. But the spectacular gifts of the Spirit died out with the last of the apostles. The flashy, special, wow kind of gifts died out. And one of the reasons many of them do that, it, they point to this text. Because Paul says that prophecy is going to end, knowledge is going to end, the gift of tongues is going to end. And they said when the perfect comes. Now, the argument is, and I, I wanted to sh- share with you that I think this is a, there's a really bad problem of interpretation here. They've argued that the perfect which comes is the New Testament canon. When the the New Testament was finally closed and people were able to say, this is the word of God, we would no longer need spectacular gifts. But there's a huge problem here. No one had ever heard of a canon of scripture before. This wasn't a topic of discussion. People didn't realize, well, Peter talks about Paul, some of his... His writings being hard to understand like other scriptures. But by and large, people weren't thinking about a book, the New Testament being written. So why would Paul bring about a subject that they hadn't thought about? But a key element, why I think this is a bad interpretation, Paul says when that which is perfect will come, we won't need these things because then we will know even as we are known. I am 65 years old. I surrendered to ministry at the age of 15. I was licensed at 20. Uh, no, excuse me, licensed at 16, ordained at 20. This still is a little freaky. At 16, I could have performed a legal wedding in Texas. I couldn't have gotten married, but I could perform the legal ceremony. Uh, I am a theologian by bent. I have a hunger to learn the truths of God and by training. And folks, there are a lot of things I still don't know. I don't know as I have will be known. The point is, the perfect that I believe Paul is talking about is when the perfect Lord Jesus Christ comes and brings our salvation to its perfect fulfillment Of being with God in glory. And then we will know as we are known. And these things will not be necessary. Well others will argue. Well that's true Danny. And and, and that's not my argument. But there's a verb choice. With the gift of tongues. that the, the, The format says that tongues will cease in and of themselves. Knowledge and prophecy will be brought to a close. Tongues will just quit. They'll, they'll end. And that's a little problematic. When you start using language, the Greek language to make too strong a point, you may be not on the most strength the argument there possible. Uh, neither of these arguments are compelling to me. The perfect is Jesus Christ. I think the fact that he used a different verb format was probably stylistic. The point that breaks my heart when we get into these arguments, we miss the point of what Paul is saying altogether. Knowledge, prophecy, and speaking in tongues are representative of all the spiritual gifts. What Paul is saying, when we get to glory, when we stand before our God and King, We won't need spiritual gifts ever again. They'll be through. They'll be done. They have fulfilled their purpose. And what is their purpose? Why does God give the gifts? For the body of Christ to be matured and grow into the church she is meant to be, to be able to do the ministry of the Lord in meaningful ways that are rich and touch. But when we are in glory, there's no purpose. Paul is making the distinction between every spiritual gift that exists which is temporary in this world to love. And so we need to understand this and grab sight of this and, and hold on to this. No spiritual gifts will ever be Needed again. Now here's the warning. Because spiritual gifts are still a very hot topic within the body of Christ. Maybe not as much as it was 20 or 30 years ago. I remember uh, there was a point in time in church discipleship classes. We were all taking schedules to try to find out what our spiritual gift was. And there were teachings on spiritual gifts. Everybody was wanting to learn their spiritual gifts. And it was the topic of conversation The problem was people would do the inventories and find out their spiritual gifts and they wouldn't use them. So there's a problem there. But here's the warning. Becoming enamored by gifts of the Spirit might lead us to lose sight of the best that God has for us. When we love the idea of spiritual gifts and we crave the spiritual gifts that will will be powerful and 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 undeniable and strong and, and get people's attentions. Sometimes we begin ranking people. I'm more important because I have this gift. I have this gift and you have the gift of service. Well, Paul is saying all gifts are part of what's going on in the body of Christ. The it seems the Christian body has not learned the message of 1 Corinthians. Why do I say that? Because denominational wars have broken out, sometimes erupting on the emphasis of certain gifts as being higher than others. And we have battled, and we have fought, and we have argued, and the body of Christ has been splintered. And folks, can you think of anything more tragic? Remember, the Holy Spirit of God is moving in us, gifting us with the idea of bringing us together to do the work of the kingdom. And we are allowing it to split us apart. The heart of the Spirit of God must be breaking every time we get into a fight. And my point is, where's love? Now, please understand, I'm not suggesting that when somebody is taking a stand that clearly deviates from the clear scriptural teaching of God's Word, I'm not saying, just ignore that. I'm not saying unity at all costs. But even if we are right, even if they have gone too far, how do we handle it? By calling them names? By saying, you are... A horrible, evil, carnal person? What do we do? Let's go back to our scripture reading. You have heard me quote the phrase, speak the truth in love, a lot of times in the 13 years I've been here. And there are a lot of applications to that. Like if you walk up to me and say, that was about the ugliest blazer I've ever seen. That may be your truth, but it's not very loving. I'll try not to cry. But have you ever thought about the context of that phrase? Because in Ephesians 4, the context of speaking the truth in love is in connection with what I'm talking about right now. When we are seeking to try to find the truth of what God's word says, when we're seeking as the church to become a church that is not easily laid by every wind of doctrine, when we're trying to remain faithful and something comes up that is not in line with the Word, we need to try to correct it. We need to speak the truth, but in love. Not to drive the heretic out, but to win them back to the truth through love. This is what Paul said. So when we disagree with one another, And we will disagree. I can guarantee at some point, uh, I've only known one person in my life that uh, thought so many different ways like me that it was almost scary. A friend of mine, and he actually was my best man at my wedding. Uh, But we differed on some very serious issues. What I want you to understand we must not lose perspective on the purpose of spiritual gifts. We must not lose perspective on spiritual gifts. Folks, spiritual gifts were never given by the Holy Spirit of God so I can stand up and say, I've got the greatest gift. I'm super Christian. You want to see my emblem? I have, I'm the greatest thing because I have this gift mix. It was never meant about that. It was never about, look at me. Gifts are meant to bring the body of Christ into unity, into maturity, into a fully functioned body of Christ, ministering to this world. And spiritual gifts are meant to build each other up, not tear each other down. Not for me to say, well, you're you're a second class Christian because you don't do this. Each of the gifts has a purpose all part of the body of Christ, helping it function properly. I'm, I'm not a big fan of feet. I think that probably on the human body, they are the least attractive part of the human body to me. And my big toes, you will never see. Well, unless I'm laid out and they have to take my shoes off to save my life. My big toes are ugly. I'm at that age now. But you know what? My big toes are important. And whatever your gift is. Whether it's spectacular or not. If you are gifted of God to fulfill a purpose in the body of Christ. Your gift is important. And the body needs to function with every member fully and truthfully leading us to the place. We become the church God has called us to be. I want to tell you something, and it's hard to see that. It's really hard to see this. COVID had a big hit on us. We've lost a lot of dear members through the last few years. Some of our older members who were the backbone of this church in many ways. There was a lot of drama before I ever got here. A lot of things have happened. But I believe with everything in me, the Holy Spirit of God will gift this church with whatever gifts are needed to do the purpose of the church. The problem is, we have got to use our gifts to help build the body up. Every one of us. Lord, what would you have me to do? Because that's the purpose of gifts. and We need to understand that. So spiritual gifts as wonderful as they are, will not last forever because there'll, be there'll come a time we'll be before the Lord God Almighty. And about the only thing of importance that will be coming from our lips are praise and love for God and each other. Because, my friends, our second truth, love alone will last into eternity. Love alone will last into eternity. And Paul wants to make this as clear as he possibly can to these Corinthians. And again, I remind you, the church at Corinth fought about everything. This love chapter falls between chapters 12 and 14 that are very specifically focused on spiritual gifts because they were even arguing about spiritual gifts. And Paul says, I need to show you the better way. So Paul expressed love's eternal nature in two ways to the Corinthians. He didn't just say it once, he says it two different ways that are very powerful and we need to hear. Two different ways to the Corinthians. He said love is eternal. Now how does he begin? Begins a straightforward statement Opens the discussion. There's no figurative language here. There is no tricky, well, what could he mean by this? And having to parse this word or that word, he says it very clear. Love never ends. Now, the Lunida, Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, tends to focus on the sense of meanings of words and how they are related to other words that are similar in the New Testament. And it points out the word never is an indefinite, negative, negated point. And that means never, not ever, at no time. Not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. Never, ever, ever. Hence, bold print, all caps, underline, absolutely never. And then the word ends is a figurative use of a word that means to fall. And I'm not going to give you a physical demonstration of that. But it means to fall, but it's a figurative word, and it carries with it the idea to stop with a possible implication of failure. In my life, most of the falls I have taken have been witnessed by other people. Which does horrible things to my ego. Uh, I've told you, growing up, the phrase, way to go Gracie, was was constantly given to me. And so, it was a failure. Somehow I didn't manage to stay on my feet. The idea Paul is saying here, no way at any time ever, not ever, not ever, not ever, never can love fail. Isn't that amazing? Love will never fail. And then, Paul does something very unusual in the last verse. He introduced an eternal triad to cement his point. And what I mean by that, he gives three different words that are defining what he is saying. He said, there are three things that remain. There are three things that abide. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now I've said Only love goes into eternity. So why does he throw faith and hope in here? That sounds like there are three things, right? Yeah. But let me point out something to you that is weird for Paul. Paul was an excellent writer. And whenever he would break a grammatical rule, there was a reason. And he's broken a big one here. When I was grading papers for Dr. Young and then for my own classes, this was a big one. I insisted that nouns and verbs agree in number. And there are three things here, right? Three subjects. Faith, hope, and love. And the verb abide is singular. That doesn't work. Even in our, it does not just Greek in our language. If I were to say, James and Robbie and Jonathan is looking really good this morning, isn't they? I said, if I were to say that, you would immediately know that's wrong. He's not supposed to do that. So, why would Paul lump all these things together and use one singular verb? Because it's been pointed out, he's wanting to show they are an indissoluble unity. They belong together. And when you look at the scripture in our text, Paul has already described love is, and he says, love always trusts, the verbal form of faith. Love always hopes. I believe those two things, those two ideas, are subsumed under love. They are all expressions of love. And the reality is, if this is a logical statement, Paul's not just saying when he said, and now, if he, if he meant more than and now, right at this moment, these things remain. I don't think that's what he means. I think he's making an argu- a logical argument. Now and into the present, faith, hope, and love will continue. He's making this important statement. Mark Taylor points out, as I already said, Paul has included faith and hope in his definition of love. 13.7, always trust, always hopes. And the main thrust of the passage is the permanence of love over against temporary spiritual gifts. In the age to come, the people of God will continue to have faith, exercise faith, in the sense of reliance and trust on God. When we get to glory, we will know the only reason we are there is because of God. And we're going to trust Him. And they, in glory, we will continue to have hope in the sense of expressing our confidence in him. We hope in you, Lord. We know that you're not going to fail. That is our hope. Now, why does he say love is greatest? Maybe because faith and hope are subsumed under love. Or maybe because love is the very essence of God's character. We've sung about that all morning long. 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And there is nothing more important than we love God with all of our hearts, all of our beings, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what God is saying. He's wanting these Corinthians who were fighting about spiritual gifts to understand they're going to pass away, but the love that should define you the love that should give you your identity and your purpose and your reason for existence will go into eternity. And so, yes, even though Paul says, B.C., remain faith, hope, and love, I believe that the overall thrust of this passage is, yes, indeed, love alone will last when we enter into the eternal realm. You see, when I stand before God, and when you stand before God, it won't matter what our spiritual gifts were here. I, I just refuse to believe we're going to be wandering through heaven through all eternity. Well, What was your gift? Well, which one did you get? Oh, really? I'm, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's not going to do that. It'll be gone over with. Now, obviously, while I'm on earth, I should exercise this gift or gifts God has given me To help the church become all that it's meant to be. But in glory. Before the Holy One. In the presence of our Savior. Knowing the very full move of the Spirit in our lives. Without any limitations. Our love for God. And love for one another. Will be all that matters. And then. I want you to hear this. Because we have picked on the disciples a lot. When we are in heaven, disciples will finally quit arguing about who is the most important and the greatest in the kingdom. You see, folks, it wasn't just the disciples who do that. And I know they do it a lot in the New Testament. But Christians have been doing it ever centuries since. Jockeying for position. Who's the most important? We've done it. So, if God, who is a God of perfect love, has told us, without love, nothing matters. Without love, you are nothing. This is what love looks like. This is the eternal nature of love. This is the only baggage you get to bring into heaven. Love. then this leads us to realize we must be practicing love right now. This is one of those moments that it, this, this is not theological rocket science. This isn't trying to define the Trinity in a way that will please everybody. This is a very simple statement. If love alone remains in glory, shouldn't we be exercising love in our lives now? Of course. That's the whole point of this beautiful passage of Scripture. We are not to jockey for position to see who's in first place. We are supposed to be finding positive, affirming, edifying ways to express our love for one another here. Because we're going to be spending an eternity together. Think about this. We're going to be with each other forever. Why are we going to want to wait till God perfects us in heaven to love? We need to start loving each other right now. And I suspect like the 24 elders, whatever crowns we amass here on earth, when we stand before God, we will take our crowns and cast them at his feet. Because we all will know the only reason I am here is the love of God. I began with the story of an unusual person, a bus driver, who says I love you to her passengers and actively gets involved in their lives. Let me share with you another story. It's a rather gentle nudge of love, and it was a rather wonderful display of love. And again, you can find this online, and you can take a listen to the whole thing. But this display and nudge toward love comes in the life, yes, you know him, and many of you love him, Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers, creator of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, a children's television show that began airing in 1968 and ran until 2000. Folks 895 episodes. Now you may not know that Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And he would go before the synod to to validate his his ordination all through the years he served. But his ministry, he believed with all of his heart, was developing a work that would give children a sense of worth and value and teach them some lessons that we desperately needed to hear. In 1997, Mr. Rogers won the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. That's a, that's a pretty important one. And I want to share with you just an excerpt of his speech. Now, he, of course, thanks all the people who made it possible. His wife, his family has produced all of that. But he begins in such an unusual way. And if you watch the video on YouTube and just just search YouTube Mr. Rogers' acceptance speech, and you'll find it. He begins like this. So much like Mr. Rogers would have been disappointed if he did anything else. He said, so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you take along with me 10 seconds to think about the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for your life. Ten seconds of silence and I'll watch the time. He looks at his watch. And as the camera pans through the audience, you see these jaded Hollywood performers weeping. After 10 seconds, he says, whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. Now, it's been pointed out, every one of us in this room have had people in our lives who loved us into being children of God. They prayed for us. They talked to us. They shared their faith. They lived a life of love and grace, the fruit of the Spirit, that touched us and had an impact on us, that that had us wanting to know who Christ was. Some of them are here. Some are far away. And some are even in heaven where they join the saints around the throne We all have had spiritual parents. Are you willing to be that person for someone else? Are you willing to take this eternal gift of love and share it with people? Help them find life in the kingdom of God. Helping them to come and know Him. Because that's what love is about. That's what love is about. Pointing others to the love of God in Christ. Loving them in the midst of their failures and their pain. Loving them and sharing with them the truth. Loving them. Even as Christ has loved us. And it is my heart, and I ask you today, today, I'm asking you, will you commit? Will you commit? And ask God, Lord, help me love that kind of love. Help me to love in such a way that when people come in contact with me, they will not be driven away from Christ will want to know about the Jesus I serve. Right here, right now, at this moment, will you cry out to God and say, make me that kind of lover of souls. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads before the Lord you may want to come to the altar to pray and that's wonderful if you would like to. But the reality is, if we were all very honest and I were to tell you, those of you who need to love like this, come to the altar. There shouldn't be anybody sitting in the pews. All of us need to grow in our love. All of us need to commit to love more. That's what I'm asking you today. Nothing tricky. Nothing hidden. God, let me love with a love that will carry into eternity. And help me to love all those folks who don't know you. Father God, how I wish we could say that the church has always, always shown this kind of love, but all of us in this room know it hasn't always. Across this land and across this world, sometimes we in the body of Christ do fight, and we do jockey for position, and we do try to say who is more worthwhile than others, and God in heaven, forgive us. Purify us, O God. Cleanse us of the audacity of ever saying anyone is unimportant in the body of Christ. Help us to love one another. Cherish one another, to strengthen one another. Help us, O oh God, to love with the love of Christ, to your glory and praise. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.